Welcome to the Center for Grassland Studies podcast series. I'm your host, Margo McKendry, Program Coordinator for the Center. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Dr. Dave Aiken, Professor of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Our topic is carbon credits. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Glad to be with you, Margo. Agricultural carbon credits have been proposed as a critical part of a larger U.S. strategy to reduce carbon emissions and avoid the very worst impacts of climate change. What are agricultural carbon credits? Well, basically, they are where farmers and ranchers and forest land owners are paid for the carbon that they sequester on their land through the photosynthesis process of plant growth. So, you know, this is measured and the quantities are verified and the uh, annual increases in carbon storage in the land then can be sold on national and sometimes even international markets as carbon credits. Since the United States is looking at trying to reduce our national carbon footprint, so to speak, we're looking at all the options out there. And since the carbon sequestration that occurs every year from, you know, cropland, grasslands, lawns, parks, you know, everything that you can imagine where we've got stuff growing out of the ground, that is one of the largest carbon sinks that we have that offsets some of the carbon that we put up in the air when we turn the lights on and you know use that generated electricity or when we go somewhere in our cars or you know whatever it might be the biden administration is very serious i believe about trying to reduce carbon emissions in the united states and so agriculture is going to have to be a significant part of that as we move down the road and i think that this is an issue that is going to be an important issue uh, in agriculture probably from here on out now what activities might generate carbon credits i think you may have kind of touched on that but if you could go further down the road with that item sure uh, so far uh, the big one has been forest lands, you know, because trees, they use a lot of air and the tree growth and maintaining itself and stuff like that. But when you count the acres that we have in agricultural production in both in crops and in grasslands, pasture, it's a lot of acres and the total amounts to a lot of carbon sequestration. So even if acre by acre, you know, it's not gigantic amounts of carbon that's being sequestered, when you look at it Collectively, it's a lot. And there are a lot of different policy things going on, but the carbon market is kind of the private side of it. And the talk will also talk a little bit about what USDA is doing and may be doing uh, in the next few years. There's a lot going on. It's pretty confusing. And in the talk, I will get into why it's confusing and whether there's help on the way that may try to make it less confusing so producers will have a better time of trying to sort through different options and trying to find something that is a good fit for them and their operation. You just mentioned the term carbon market. So could you explain a little bit about what a carbon market is and maybe um, the status of carbon markets today, please? You bet. Uh, Very broadly, there are two types of carbon markets. First type is uh, perhaps called a regulatory carbon market uh, where in some states and in some countries, say power plants or factories 
are put on a carbon diet, so to speak. They have a limit in terms of how much they can emit. And one of the things that they can do to keep under their limit, for example, if they generate more electricity or there's lots of demand for what their factory is selling, so they put on an extra shift and generate extra carbon emissions, there are, there are things that they can do. They can go on to the, the regulatory carbon market and buy uh, these carbon credits to offset some of their emissions. And the standard unit is a metric ton of carbon emitted or of carbon sequestered. And in the global carbon markets, there are a variety of things that can generate carbon credits. If you go from a coal-fired power plant, for example, to a uh, wind farm or a solar farm, when you retire that coal-fired power plant, that will generate, in certain areas of the world, that will generate carbon credits that can be then used to offset carbon emissions someplace else. In the regulatory market, the forest carbon credits are the ones that have been the most active in the, on the regulatory market side. However, we've had these horrible wildfires in the West burning up these forests and those forests were counted on to be there to grow and maintain the forest and suck carbon out of the air. And since those forests have been burned down, you know, that's not going to be happening, at least until some type of reforestation activity goes on. So, you know, there are complications in these markets and people who are standing behind those forest carbon credits may have to buy carbon credits someplace else to cover their responsibilities or may even have to just pay money to compensate for the carbon that they didn't pull out of the air. So that's the regulatory side. And the regulatory side is very strict in terms of what counts as carbon sequestration. One of the reasons they like the forests is because forests are long-term. So they can sell a 20-year or 30-year carbon credit coming out of the forest, and everybody assumes the forest is going to be fine. The owner is saying, we're not going to cut it down and stuff like that. But again, if it burns up, then you have to look at the fine print of the contract to see what do they do to deal with that. The other carbon credit where the ag has been more involved is the voluntary carbon credits. And so these are people, say Al Gore flies across the country to give a climate talk on the West Coast. He's very green, of course, so he can go into these voluntary carbon credit markets and he can buy carbon offsets to offset the amount of pollution associated with his plane ticket out to the West Coast and then back to North Carolina or wherever it is he lives. And so these are voluntary. And companies who want to go carbon neutral or say we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030 or you know something like that, they are buying these ag carbon credits. And other types of carbon credits as well, but that's where the ag market is right now. And it's not regulated. If Al Gore's carbon credits only count for 80% of the actual emissions, nobody's going to come and write him a ticket or put him in jail or anything like that because he hasn't violated anything. There's a little more wiggle room, I guess, in these voluntary carbon markets. But as more and more countries begin to regulate carbon emissions within their countries, it's likely that these markets may start to converge a little bit and that more of the activity can work in either market. If we have this talk five years from now, that's one of the things that we would talk about. As you're defining terms, there's another term that we've probably heard too, and that's the carbon bank. And I'm wondering if you could define that. And then also, should the USDA get involved in developing a carbon bank? Okay. The carbon bank is a proposal that the USDA would pay farmers for 
sequestering carbon on their land and to do so without regard to whether the USDA is going to try to sell carbon credits in any type of carbon market. They're just going to pay them to try to get farmers and ranchers and forest owners to increase carbon storage on their land. It'd probably operate a lot like the Conservation Reserve Program where people would bid in their land and people with the lowest bids would get the contract and and that kind of thing. This would be very flexible. So the USDA, uh, they would have a program say, okay, if you switch from conventional till to no-till, we'll pay you so much an acre for five years to do that. Or if you change your grazing practices so that your pastures end the season in better shape, for example, than they would be if you'd grazed them more intensively. There are all kinds of possibilities of the sorts of things that the USDA could fund. But the nice thing is that you don't have to worry about meeting all the requirements that you would have to meet if you were trying to sell carbon credits in a regulatory market, which is difficult. It's challenging. You have to have the measurement and the verification and stuff like that. USDA can say, no, we're not going to worry about measurements. We're not going to worry so much about verification. We just want farmers to do these things because we know this is going to increase the rate of carbon sequestration on agricultural lands and forest lands and pastures. And we know that this is going to help the United States reduce its carbon footprint over time. And so we're going to do this as part of our national climate effort to try to reduce our carbon footprint. And I think it's a great idea. I think that a lot of farmers and ranchers are going to be very frustrated in terms of trying to deal with all the paperwork associated with this private carbon markets, especially on the regulatory side. And some of the ag carbon credit activity that we have going on, you know, you have to have a pretty strong internet connection to be able to upload all the data from your farm or your ranch that they want to be able to calculate how much carbon you've sequestered from last year to this year. And not all farmers or ranchers have that gold standard internet connection to allow them to do that. So even though you want to do it, you may not be able to participate with that carbon credit buyer and seller because, you know, you don't have a fast enough internet connection to meet the digital requirements to be on their platform. But USDA doesn't care about that. All you have to do is to be able to go to your local, you know, NRCS office or USDA office and sign the paperwork up there and you bring the information into them. You know, you don't have to do it over the internet and stuff like that. I mean, so they will be there for everybody uh, who wants to participate without regard to whether they, you know, they can jump through all the hoops that you would have to jump through in order to participate in the private carbon market. So you're talking about landowners. I'm wondering how important is the development of carbon credit and carbon market systems to agricultural landowners? And maybe what should producers be watching for at this time? Well, right now it's really complicated because all the discussion that we're having now is related to the private carbon market. And uh, frankly, it is the wild, wild west. You know, we do not have standards. We don't have public exchanges. We don't have any transparency. You can go to websites and and look stuff up and a lot of them will be happy to talk to you over the phone, you know, kind of take you through their program and stuff like that. But you have to do an awful lot of, you know, you'll have to do a lot of work like that before you can find the one that is perhaps a good fit for you. In the slideshow that I will give with the, uh, the seminar presentation, I will give you some links to where you can go and get some of this information 
Foundation. There are a couple that list all the different programs that people have been able to find, you know, to date that are taking ag carbon credits. I've only been able to find one that deals with pasture or grasslands. There may be more than that, but so far I've, I've only been able to scare up one. Anyway, we'll have information about that. And, uh, you know, if you download a couple of these handouts that other people have prepared, you can kind of sort through that and, and have some kind of idea of, well, it looks like these guys won't work, but maybe this this one will work. So it'll give you some idea of where to go. But there's no central registry uh, there's nobody that really vets these things to say, are these guys legit or are you just going to be spinning your wheels or wasting your time with them? We don't have anything like that right now. One of the things that I'll talk about in the seminar is that the Senate has passed the Growing Climate Solutions Act, which will kind of unofficially put the USDA pretty much in charge of the ag and forest carbon credit markets in the United States. They won't officially be in charge, but they will set the standards for measuring and very verifying carbon sequestration in agricultural and forest lands, and they will have a certification process for any buyer or seller of carbon credits who wants to be registered in the USDA system. So if this ever becomes law, and I've got my fingers crossed that it will become law perhaps by late this year, if we're if we're lucky and we all keep our fingers crossed, then there will be a lot more transparency for this carbon credit market, at least on the ag side, than there is right now. Right now, if you want anywhere approaching daily information on what different types of carbon credits are being sold for around the country, that subscription runs into thousands of dollars a month. It's expensive and not many people can afford that. We certainly can't afford that at the university. So it's very confusing in terms of what's going on right now. Hopefully a year from now, it'll be better and it'll be a lot more transparent. We'll have a lot better idea of, of what prices are. And that's what producers want to know is, is this something I can make money at? And what do I have to do to make the money? You know, because if you have to change your operation a lot and stuff, that could have an impact on your bottom line. You know, so you want to know whether these things will pencil out for you or not. But once we have a better handle on what the real prices are, and you know, if you go on the internet, boy, those prices bounce around all over the place. And you don't know whether that's an accurate thing or if that's, you know, kind of wishing or hoping or what it is. But a year from now, we may be in a better place and it may be a lot easier to talk about this stuff because we'll have more answers to the questions that we all have right now. So you've talked to us about what ag landowners might be watching for in the future, but what about the public and the Nebraska citizen in general? What should we be watching for and perhaps supporting moving forward? Clearly, I think that the carbon bank is a great idea. I think it gives producers an opportunity to get involved in the carbon market game, so to speak, without having to turn themselves inside out or upside down or anything like that. And as time goes on and as information about what is going on, more information becomes available and, and as market movements in the carbon credit market become more transparent and easier to access and stuff like that, you know, then it's easier, you know, it's more familiar and it's easier for you to figure out, okay, I'm ready to take the plunge. I'm ready to sign a, a carbon contract. Whereas today I would be hesitant. If the carbon contract will save the ranch, and if you don't save the ranch, it's going to go up for auction, then you probably want to do it, you know, because you really don't have a choice. For most people, it's not going to be you know, they're going to be disappointed when they find out how much you might get per acre. You know, it's a couple, you know, a couple bucks per acre. Maybe it's, it's not a lot of money at this point. It's new and it's mysterious. And people think that, boy, this has got to be great. It's really not that great right now. 
But as far as the general public is concerned, we're among the stragglers as far as collectively being in a position to say, yeah, we're trying to reduce our carbon footprint. We're not trying very hard in Nebraska. It's about like me saying, I'm trying to lose weight. You know, I'm trying to lose weight all the time and I gain about five pounds every year. Uh, So I'm not trying that hard in all honesty. And that's the way we are in Nebraska with regards to carbon emissions. It's the same type of deal. I think that's what Nebraska citizens need to start keeping an eye open for is for opportunities to do that, you know, through state policy. Some federal policies may help with that. You know, there are a lot of things that we could do that neighboring states have done and have done for a long time and that we haven't done here in Nebraska. And so that may be the thing that I would encourage people to take a look at. This has been really good and and a lot of good information to start thinking about. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add about this topic before we get ready to close out this session? September is going to be a big month for Congress. A lot of President Biden's big uh, domestic policy proposals, especially those affecting climate, are going to be getting up and down, you know, through the kind of long process that moving major legislation through Congress takes. And so watch the news. If you think we need to reduce our carbon footprint, then keep your fingers crossed or encourage our federal elected officials to try and help get this out the door, so to speak, and onto the law books. You know, if we do that, it'll help us down the road big time on the ag side. Uh, It'll also help us, all of us down the road, as far as trying to get our carbon uh, footprint under control. Thank you so much for taking time to chat today. This has been very good. Thank you. Thank you, Margo. I've enjoyed it. Now, I will mention that Dr. Aiken will be speaking more on this topic when he makes an October 4th presentation entitled Carbon Markets and Carbon Banks, What Do They Mean for Nebraska Agriculture? as part of the Center's Fall Seminar Series. To learn more about the series or how you may participate, go to grassland.unl.edu. Thank you for listening.